Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is the Massachusetts Performance Podcast, brought to you by Matthew Micheroni and Bobby Dattero. Hey guys, it's the Mass Performance Podcast. We're back. Uh, Today we're going to talk about power development. How do we teach Olympic lifting, program, sets and reps, and percentages will be discussed. In addition to that, we'll cover alternative power options. Stay tuned. All right, so how do we teach Olympic lifting? It is a complex question that's going to take a while to delve into. Um, First off, we're going to have Bobby start. Bobby, in the private sector with your older clients, your kids, your sports athletes, how do you go about teaching it? Well, the mic isn't fucking (laughs) Update, the mic is now plugged in. All right, so how do we teach Olympic lifting? It's a very complex question. There's a lot of variables that go into it such as program, sets and reps, percentages. So I'm going to let Bobby start off. He's going to explain how he does it for his older clients who want an Olympic lift, his younger athletes, and that sweet spot of about uh, 16 to 18 when he has those high school kids come in. So with Olympic lifting, the first question that I like to address is, is this person going to Olympic lift at all? If it's a baseball player, I'm probably not going to have them do it. If it's anyone with a history of like a significant elbow or shoulder injury, they're probably also not going to Olympic lift. Um, But for those that are going to, what we typically do is trying to get everyone to perform a hang, clean, caught in the power position. So a hang, power, clean. With that, with my younger kids, what I like to do is get them used to doing high pulls, get them used to the bar being in the front rack position. Now, I will say that gets really, really tough because they typically need to use a training bar and the training bar sometimes isn't heavy enough to actually get in a decent front rack position. Um, But we try to teach them that anyway, get them used to being comfortable with the bar on their shoulders. In someone that has experience with Olympic weightlifting, whether it's ours or... Editor's note, um, I'm here to tell you what had happened behind the scenes was I passed Bobby a note and he lost his train of thought. I just wanted to let you guys know on what was going on, why he was stuttering. But now, back to your regularly scheduled program. Start with a high pull. Getting athletes used to get it, starting in their hinge position and being able to actually pull the bar. Um... While we are teaching the high pull, I also like to get athletes used to the bar on their shoulders. So getting them used to that good front rack position. So maybe we don't put the movement complete as one right away, but I like to at least teach the high pull, 
from the hang and get athletes comfortable with the bar on their shoulders. Typically, our end point is a hang power clean, starting the hang, caught in the power position. So I like to work up to that after the high pull. So I go from the high pull, get athletes used to the front rack position, and then see what a, a full hang power clean looks like. Sometimes it looks really, really good and the athletes can kind of pick it up right away. Sometimes it doesn't. And um, from there, it just depends on the strategy of how we need to further coach it from there. But that's just kind of about knowing your athletes and where they're at. All right. So with me, um, how do I teach Olympic lifting? It's going to vary a little bit. Generally in the public sector, so think collegiate, we have a little more time. But uh, a quick little counter argument to that is I really would like to take four to eight weeks. But sometimes the coach, the team, they won't let me. They want me to get right into it right away. That's a discussion for another day. That's not my preferred method. So how do I teach it? Generally, we're going to start hammering meat and potato lifts for anywhere from four to eight weeks. Our meat and potato lifts will be the front rack or the front squat, push press, and RDL. All three of those, we're going to hammer, just hammer the mechanics for four to eight weeks until kind of probably 90% of the team has it down. Same with the snatch. If we're going to teach the snatch with our athletes, we're going to work um, snatch grip push press, overhead squat, and snatch grip RDL for four to eight weeks before we actually get into a position one snatch or clean. Now, say those four to eight weeks are done, we'll go into position one. Uh, position one to us is just the USAW high hang. From there, we'll tell the athletes, unlock their knees, jump, place that bar in their shoulders in that front rack position, very similar to the front squat. If we're snatching, we'll have them in a snatch grip. Say, go to position one. I said, I want you to jump and catch that bar overhead in that overhead squat position generally in a power catch. We won't teach our athletes, or I won't teach my athletes, to squat all the way down under it unless it's something that honestly comes natural to them. I feel like there's so many limitations with people's mobility in their hips that uh, no, there's, um, what's the, what's the, I'm looking for, there's no point in forcing a square peg into a round hole. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Okay, good. Don't worry, uh, we edit out a lot of the brain farts in this, but we're going to keep that one. I like that one. All right. Uh, next, Bobby, how do you program it? Yeah, so when I program Olympic lifting, um, I need to choose if this person's even going to Olympic lift in the first place. Uh, my baseball players typically won't. My people with shoulder elbow injuries also probably won't. Really just depends on what the individual is. Um, from there, it'll be a part of my first set of exercises after core work. That's where I like to put some of my power stuff, so that's where that that will fit. I will usually take four weeks minimum of high pulling before I move on to the full clean if uh, an athlete has never done it before. But sometimes, my, sometimes these athletes are young and they even go as far, you know, sometimes they go three phases of high pulls because they can't even, they're not, they can probably pull a 15k bar fine, but you give them a 20k bar and they really can't really they can't move it quite yet. So that nervous system isn't trained yet. Those strength foundations aren't there yet. So I keep them on the high pull before trying to get into the catch to work on that pull. Once they can do a full hang power clean, then I will just, you know, pr program it linearly and 
usually by the time I get to the uh, the hang power clean and I can program it linearly, the athlete's gone, whether it's time for their sport or they are only in for a short amount of time. <laughs> so I don't have to go really beyond that with any advanced uh, periodization schemes. Like usually I don't do more than five reps. I usually don't like to go less than three either. Um, most of my kids aren't good enough to get into twos and ones. And in a very rare occasion, you know, some older people who are just lifting to hang out, I'll give them some complex stuff, whether it's high pull, clean, front squat. But that's just, you know, something a little different because they have very nonspecific goals. That's a good point. Uh, so with me, how do I program Olympic lifting? Let's say it's a three-day a week program. Generally, all three days, you're going to have some variation of the Olympic lift. That is, like Bobby said, if nothing's contraindicated, if you don't have shoulder issues, if you might not be an overhead athlete, you might not snatch. It just depends on what sport you are. So just let's simplify it even a little more. Let's say we have a men's lacrosse team training three days a week. You are going to Olympic lift, probably going to clean twice a week and snatch once a week. On the clean, uh, how do I program it? It's either position one, position two, or from a block. Same with the snatch. I generally never get into pulling from the floor because I find a lot of athletes really struggle with the mobility to get in a great starting position. And a lot of those who can don't understand that tension impulse that you need in order to generate a great drive off the floor. A lot of times they sag, you'll watch the hips pop up first, their back might stay straight, but it's not the end goal we're looking for. Um, after that, sets and reps, I will never go over three. You'll only see sets, uh, reps of three. Um, now I might manipulate it based off the time of the year. We might do six by three, five by three, four by three. It doesn't, it just all depends. So um, depending on the percentage, you'll see lower reps, higher reps, more sets, less sets, and different variations. So if I'm trying to, if I'm in a max strength phase, you're gonna see a lot more block pulls. I feel like the block puts you in a great position to maximize your power output. It's a shorter range of motion. You can almost get it. You can get set up to the bar, get tight, take off. Now, if we're in more of a strength endurance phase, you might see a little more work in position one or complexes like position one, position two, where building up strength and power capacity. It all varies based off the time of the year and the goals and what I figure out that team needs. Uh, for percentages, just to dig a little more into that, I'm not a fan of max effort Olympic lifting. I feel like it very rarely ever goes well. Um, what I mean by that is a lot of times I think you uh, people get into training sport athletes like Olympic lifters where they're touching 90% weekly. Uh, I don't think that's the right goal. A lot of times they're not technically proficient in the lift to really benefit from it, but sometimes they can. I mean, sometimes you will clean heavy. There's nothing wrong with hitting 90% for singles. Our athletes will do that, but it's in a very controlled microdose. So they might do it for a week or two, um, but we'll never program a test day. I don't, I don't believe in testing Olympic lifts with them. I think it's a very organic process that has to happen where if we're in a heavy cycle and we're working max strength and we kind of built up to maybe three by one at 90%, if I know your technique sound, you're a competent lifter, your training age dictates, and you're like, hey, I want to go for a new heavy single, I'll give you a shot. I'm fine with that because you've proven to me by that point that you're proficient enough that a bad lift or miss isn't catastrophic. But if you're one of my freshmen, I'm gonna tell you to go fuck. <laughs> That's off uh, limit word, by the way. I have to put a quarter in the off limit jar. Uh, but it, it's just, it varies so much. How do you feel about that? I like that you don't test the, uh, or like one RM test, three RM test, any of those. I cannot get down with Olympic lifting testing with non-Olympic lifters. It's not their sport. 
It's not their job. And every bad clean video that anyone has ever seen has come from a testing day. Or an open set. I feel like, to build off what Bobby said, I'm not a fan, and maybe you can run it better than me, so I'm not criticizing anyone for this. But just based off how I coach and my experience, I'm not a fan of open sets with Olympic lift. I think if you have an athlete and you're programming 85%, and you're like, all right, test day, we're going to clean, we're doing hand cleans, Whatever, however you want to do your hand clean, we're doing hand cleans at 85%, it's an open set, three to five reps. I think a lot of times you put yourself in a disadvantage, uh, a disadvantageous position because now it's almost like you want to validate your program. So you're going to, you might get three solid reps, the fourth reps okay. And on any other day, you would cut that fourth rep. But you kind of want the athletes fired up, it's pumped up, there's the environment, they go for that fifth rep and it's sloppy. They barely make the bar on their shoulders, they catch like a starfish. Uh, one elbow's up, one elbow's down. And it just doesn't look good. A lot of times I think you can really just avoid that situation by not A, programming open sets or test, and B, you can just set a range. An example is like if you're cleaning with athlete A, or you have your men's lacrosse team for the day, uh, you could just set a range that's either plus or minus 5% of what the goal is. So say if your athlete could clean 100 kilos, and you're doing, you're working around 80% for doubles, you could put... Um, you could just put a range in your sheet from 75 to 85% because as we know, it's so central nervous system dependent and technique dependent, age, training age dependent on how well they'll clean. Sometimes 80% is 85%. Sometimes 85% is really 75%. But having that open window allows for you as the coach to make it look better. You can bump your athlete up. You can bump them down. And if you start that from day one as their freshman, you're not going to have to fight that battle all the time about hey, go down, and they're going to be like, no, I want to move more weight. I also am a big fan, and I know you touched on it, is letting the training dictate estimated maxes. Because I'll estimate maxes. I'll use those. I'll use those numbers. I'll put it in the formula, and I'll go. But it'll be based off how they progress. Like I said, a lot of my kids go linear for a long time. So if I know at the end of phase three that this athlete is hang cleaning whatever weight three times, whether it's a true max or not, I don't care. I'm going to estimate a max off of that if I'm even going to use percentage work, work, which I don't. But if I'm going to use percentage work on squats, deadlifts, whatever, I use it for a lot of deloading. I estimate the 1RM and then I use the percentages based off that because I know that they're true sets and true reps, not something that was forced on a testing day which makes the percentages numbers that we can almost not even really use. Yeah. I like to say we do like percentages. We understand you you need them to understand what quality you're training, but we like them we like the percentage for the purpose of getting you in a range. Yeah, and and, and when I have when I work with higher level athletes when I did my college thing, I use percentages way more than I do now. Right now I don't have I don't use percentages because my kids are too young to actually see the benefit of the percentage. 90% might not actually be 90%. Or if I want them working at 80 and I estimate they're one and I get 80, yeah, that might really only be like a 65%. Like the, the, the percentages are off in untrained people. No, they are. And like previously discussed, it's so dependent on the day. If you don't sleep, you're probably not going to clean well, right? No. Or snatch well. It's such a fast, explosive, dynamic lift that there's all these other variables that go into it. Like if you walk into the weight room and I say, hey, we're hitting 85% for doubles, Nine times out of ten, your athlete's going to be able to handle it, but is it getting the training effect you want with the technique that they need to benefit maximally? No. 
right? Because I don't know, maybe the coach ran the shit out of them before. Maybe they didn't sleep. They were playing Fortnite. But when you give them that range, maybe if you don't want to do plus or minus five, you could do plus or minus two and a half. What else you're also creating is autonomy. So you're giving them ownership of their training. And that's something you'd be surprised that athletes actually love that. A lot of times they come in collegiate and private sector and from day one, they're just always told what to do. But when you create ownership in your lift between your lifts, like lift, squat, and you'd use that with anything, you create accountability. And now you can go back to them all the time and be like, hey, you didn't get better this semester because every time you could either go plus or minus two and a half, you went down. You put in the minimal effort trying to get the maximum result and it doesn't work that way. So you kind of push ownership to them, but also you allow great coaching on your end. You build in this escape window so when the cleans don't look at 80% and you're like, hey dude, go down, it's not looking good today, they're not gonna fight with you because athletes C, uh, B, C, D, E, and F are all heavier because you have that load range. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of minimums, using yeah. percentages for minimums. I wanna see this at minimum and if you're feeling good today, go up. Most athletes, if you use a conservative minimum, they're not going to jump these weights that are so astronomic or we don't allow them to. Yeah. We're talking like the biggest jump on one set is 10 pounds. Yeah. If they're only making these small jumps and you use a proper minimum that's maybe a touch conservative that they can work up from, that's perfect. And they stay within a, a, a workable range. But it, like also, it. it also gets their intensity at least to where you want to see it at. Yeah, that intensity range is big. Um, I hope you guys like this. Uh, this next part, we're just going to go into open discussion about some other things we didn't touch. Um, first off, I want to say, I really think most people should include a barbell warm-up before the Olympic lift. I think it's a great way to grease the groove, just a fancy way of saying you're training that motor pattern. So what do I use for a barbell warm-up? We'll start uh, three RDLs, three position one cleans or snatches. From there, we'll either go overhead squat for three reps follow or uh, front squat for three reps. After that, we'll change it up and then they'll do their first loaded set with that same complex. It's generally maybe like 40 kilos for a male or 60 kilos, depending on how strong they are. Uh, females, it's a little less. But a lot of times that helps clean up those motor patterns because you have it at a lighter weight frequency. They're doing it daily. It's also good practice. I used to do something real similar, really, really similar. And um, it's good practice because then it's like, you know, if you... If you have, if you're programming three sets of three for cleans, that's nine. And if it's a relatively inexperienced lifter, nine is just not a whole lot. But you don't want to do them, have them doing this high, high volume of working sets. It's a good way for them to get practice and repetitive patterns in without it actually being part of the actual workout. Yeah. All right. So something else I wanted to bring up is, um, granted, if you see Bobby's facility, it's a little smaller where generally he's going to work in kind of private sector mindset. He will have teams at times, but other times he might have three athletes. So three athletes, he can coach really well. He doesn't have to go on cadence. How can you teach this Olympic lifting style with all your freshmen, your whole team? The easiest thing you got to do is you got to get comfortable putting them on cadence, right? Uh, when you put them on cadence, you, you can see every rep from any position in the gym. Tell them to hold it. Easy, say position one, jump hold it. And then when you say reset, they can reset. But when you pause, you allow for this built-in time to cause, uh, create corrections. So an example is if you have an athlete who really likes to load their knees when they catch the clean, they'll catch, you see it, they have to pause in that position. And then you can go, Hey, athlete a push your butt back, make them hold it and then reset. And it allows you to monitor weight because 
Uh, to loop back to previous things, when teaching freshmen, I don't think you should use percentages for at least maybe 12 weeks. You can easily just a linear progress. When they start to stall out, use your coaching eye and go from accumulating, uh, go from an accumulation phase where maybe you're going up two to five pounds weekly set or whatever. And when you get to a point where it starts to not look great and starts to look good, start accumulating some volume there, intensify it, right? Accumulate volume. They'll build up a lot of good reps in that weight range and then start to accumulate again. And run that, Try, trust me, run that for a semester. I've seen it work, and it works really well. Uh, the only reason I'll vouch for that is I watched my boss run it. He's the one who taught me, and they have some of the best Olympic lifting athletes I've seen. Yeah, so when you're, work, when you're working with groups and teams, and people, if people are on the same page, you can kind of, like, we, we don't, a lot of people won't run their weight room or their weight exercises like it was a speed line, like if you're doing any acceleration like speed and agility work, where it's very easy for us to think, all right, first group, go. Second group, go. Hey, Johnny, you need to be doing more of this when you you know get into that skip. Third line, go. We don't think of it like that. Usually it ends up kind of being like a free-for-all, like, hey, we got to the weight room, okay, go. Scatter, shotgun approach. And... um. It's a really valuable way to teach things is you can keep people on the same page. You can keep things organized. And especially when it's a learning process, like they need, you need to have an eye on them. Yeah. And like I say, don't be afraid if you have a 60 minute lifting session to have 40 minutes of that, take up your block A and B. And with, especially with your freshmen, if you take 20 minutes to teach them to clean, it's just going to pay off in the long run, right? If it takes 20 minutes to teach that squat, that's fine. Don't feel like you have a obligation to get through block A, B, C, and D in the beginning because nine times out of 10, these freshmen are so new, your client's so young that everything's a stimulus to them. So just in a broad spectrum, if you think of it, you got freshman men's lacrosse come in, say you only get through block A and B for the first three weeks. That's fine because if you really think of it, you skipped your single leg work, oh no, but they have so much running and all, like they're running, sprinting, in field work that they're getting a stimulus for that anyways in the time being. But once you hammer home these basic meat potato movements, then you can start throwing in that single leg work or bring it back in as now they can do block A and B faster and more proficiently. Yeah, if you're going to use the Olympic lifts, they're an investment. It doesn't matter if you have a, a freshman, if you have, for me, it would be, you know, like a, a youth kid or a middle school kid. It's an investment. If I'm going to choose to use them, it's for the long term. It's for the long run. It's not for six weeks from now. Yeah, it has to be a year-round thing. So if you're one of those coaches that take it out in season or um, because you know they think it's too much stress and you think that's okay, that's fine by you. That's just not for me. I feel like if you're going to teach your athlete to clean and snatch, at some point you should have that in season. Um, the best reference I got for that is uh, a coach when I was interning said, taking out the Olympic lifts in season makes no sense. It's kind of like kissing your sister. It's either right year-round or it's young, uh, wrong year-round. Well, specifically, because when an athlete when an athlete goes in season, you want them performing at a high level. And when we talk about like high level performance, we're typically talking about power production. Because power production, you you take it away, it, it goes away so fast. And the last thing we want is these athletes not to be able to produce power. So when you go in season, your your biggest bang for your buck in terms of like the power stuff, you want to maintain that stuff. You want to maintain a high level of that. Now you can deload it and that's fine and deloads are really really helpful for that but it doesn't it does it definitely doesn't make any sense to get rid of it. Yeah, and there's so many ways you can 
uh, change it in order to help in season minimize fatigue, right? You, who, no one says you have to clean from position one or position two for doubles or triples in season. You could do a high block pull if you have blocks. You could do a, you can pull from a low block, you can pull from a high block, you can do singles. Instead of doing 10 by two, which I would never recommend in season, you could do one by 20 or 20 by one, right? Singles. There's so many ways you can manipulate the variable to lower the intensity or raise the intensity without creating fatigue. Uh, the last point we wanted to bring up is how does our training change when you have an athlete in season versus out of season? Is there any things you will manipulate differently with Olympic lifting? Um, because, well, no, because of the variations I use, because I'm typically going to go with a hang power clean. That's what it's almost the shortest range of motion that we have. And the, I just, I, I, it's going to be what the athlete's most comfortable with. It's going to be something that they're used to. So it shouldn't fry their system when they're used to it. What I will manipulate is total volume and volume load however you want to think of it. Um, usually want to work at about start, like if, like the first week of like in season, I'm probably going to drop them down like 70% of kind of where they were working and then conservatively add from there. So I actually, like what a lot of people won't do is I will progress in season. Like I will add as I go. I'll just do it in small increments because my whole thing is I want to make sure that these kids are like ready to go. Like they're prepared and ready for the games. Um, but they can still handle very, very small increases as they go. So then that way, you know, they don't come out of the season being like, well, I'm really good at 70% of what I was doing before. And now I can't handle any kind of load. Yeah, I like that. I'd say for me, the biggest thing, because I just previously covered before uh, Bobby spoke about different variations for percentages. A lot of times you're just going to see me float between that. 70 75 to 85 90 percent range i feel like it's a great time in season when programmed properly that you can peak for strength power power strength and all these other variables if used appropriately yeah no i i've never been shy of using intensity yeah um but i i i will just increase over small yeah. increments to get to get that intensity there if anything usually the kids are smashed when they get back to like the first couple weeks they're absolutely fried so they're not used to the conditioning. They're not used to getting bagged by their coach. So starting with that like little bit lighter conservative to start and then building from there usually helps them manage it better. Yeah. If anything, I would say I probably will back off strength work. An example is we'll use two lifts. So we'll go a clean and a squat. I will not be afraid to push the intensity in a clean, but I'll back off some of the intensity and volume in a squat in season. But it's an inverse relationship. So how do I program it? Um, let's say for men's lacrosse, easy again, we'll use it. They start their season. We're going to probably just do a linear progression, plan a peak again for the beginning of conference play. Once they reach the beginning of conference play, we'll kind of reset. We'll maintain a bit. But then uh, say they make the tournament or they make the, their league tournament before the NCAAs, we're going to reset again and try to peak for power so they go in feeling fresh, fast, and agile. No, exactly. The limited experience I have with actually manipulating the sports season is I definitely didn't want my athletes to be at their least performance.